Greetings and welcome to this week's performance of My Favourite Flop. At this time, we ask that you turn up the volume on all cell phones, laptops and car stereos as loud as possible. And now, sit back, relax and enjoy the show. kids we're back ladies and gentlemen yes we're super excited so today is gonna be our first mini episode this is a big deal because we have never like we threw out rules in act two of season one but like we changed the ball game because as we've mentioned in our last episode we noticed some patterns and we noticed some things began repeating so our lovely executive producer Stephen weston uh, has helped us to decide to do these cool little episode pairings. So on our last episode, Christina, what was our theme? The Curse of the Long Acre. <laughs> the Curse of the Long Acre, where we had the most fun talking about Diana the Musical. Yes. But to continue that, we have chosen another show that sadly was cursed by the Long Acre and by association, Mr. Babe Ruth. Drum roll, please. <gasps> First, First date. date. <laughs> okay, so let me preface this by saying First Date was playing on Broadway within the first year I moved to New York City, and I saw this show four times. I, I love actually it. love this show. I do uh, too. So I'm a little scared because we both know this one really well before we even decided to do it. Yeah. And we both really like it. So for a podcast called My Favorite Flop, this is like hashtag on brand. <laughs> so how should we get started with this? Um. Well, so let's just start with all of the good stuff at the top. First Date uh, premiered on Broadway in 2013. Mm -hmm. Lyrics and music by Alan Zachary and Michael Weiner. I think it's Weiner. Is it? I think it's Weiner. I don't know. I feel bad. Book by Austin Winsberg and the plot. Are we ready, kids? Yes. Casey and Aaron, 230-ish New York City singles are set up by friends. The two have nothing in common. Aaron is a conservative banker, Jewish, and looking for a meaningful relationship, while Casey is an artist, a shiksa, and a little too funky for Wall Street. <laughs> With the influences of their friends and family played out in their imaginations, this first date seems to be doomed. But with the help of a meddling and well-meaning waiter, Casey and Aaron might make a connection after all. After all. Um, <laughs> it's very personals. And you you know personals, yeah, right? I do. I do. Yeah. And I, I think that's what drew me to the show to begin with. I think someone said, like, this is like Personals 2.0. And I was like, I have to see it. <laughs> um, it's cute. It's it a cute, is cute. It's a cute Look, plot. It's a cute show. And it's good, though. Like, the writing is good, right? It's like really good sitcom writing with music. And, and, and Personals being created by the people who built friends. friends. Like, hello. I, on brand. So 
This show, as far as I know, and it may have just dated even further back than that, but before it came to Broadway, uh, it did premiere at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle uh, as a co-pro with a couple different Seattle-based arts organizations. It was a very different experience up there. Did you get a chance to see any of that Seattle pictures or video? I didn't, no. Okay. Tell us about it. So, I mean, it very much looked like like personals. Uh, it felt <laughs> very off Broadway, at least from what I could tell, a lot of projections, a lot of very basic scenery. And the cast was very regional as well. I, I don't know if many of these people, I had to have to look at cast side by side, but the stars were different, obviously. Yeah. Well, Eric Ancrim, he was really interesting because he actually, he starred as Aaron at Seattle, but then ended up coming out and understudying Zachary Levi yes. in New York because Zachary already had a pre-existing commitment with Comic-Con. So he was going to be out for a week doing right. Comic-Con for Thor. And so Eric actually stepped in during that preview week and played Aaron all weeks. And right. they did that knowing he was going to be out. So he, mm. he got to kind of continue on with the show, which I think is really cool. I don't know how many of the rest of the cast did. But I mean, it did pretty well considering it's a flop. 34 previews and 174 regular performances. I mean, that's pretty good. In five for, months, yeah. For what this show is, which is basically a one act. It is, yeah, basically a one act with a it's unit a set. Um, and it's it's an ensemble piece. Ironically, I was watching a bunch of videos that Crystal Rodriguez did as like part of Broadway World's vlogging thing oh okay um, yeah, yeah uh, but she did one on opening night and i watched that one and it was really interesting because she was talking about how blake hammond who plays the waiter that we mentioned in the plot line yes um and he's kind of like the narrator of the piece is kind of how they set him up if it had been considered an ensemble piece where zachary and krista were the leads and everyone else was ensemble mm -hmm. um he would have gotten the gypsy coat that year because oh. he, he would have been the person in the ensemble with the most broadway shows right and unfortunately equity turned around and was like no you're all leads and so oh no so he, he didn't, didn't get, get to have gypsy, gypsy robe. he didn't get the gypsy robe um so they made him his own called the jip robe oh because <laughs> he got gypped now, I just want to say to our listeners, we are using the name of what the robe was in 2013 when this show was on Broadway. Yeah, they actually have changed the name to the legacy robe due to cultural sensitivities towards the Romani people. Gypsy can be known as a racial slur uh, right. in certain parts of the world. So, but yes, at the time that this show premiered, technically would have been available, you know, eligible. He would have he would he gotten the legacy robe. Yeah. Um, Anyway, so they they did that, but it was interesting to me that they classified this as everybody was leads because it's a pretty big cast to consider that. It is. There are how many people? One, two, three, four, five, six, about seven or eight. So like, yeah, no, it's a big cast for yeah. something like that, right? Right. One thing I noticed because I went and watched a bootleg of the Broadway production, and one thing that really struck me was how great the writing was, how great the acting was, and how great the music was, and how it tied everything together. But visually, 
It didn't look like a Broadway show. No, it was like a very fancy off-Broadway show. It was like something that I would expect to see at like second stage. And second stage being the birthplace of shows like Dear Evan Hansen and other things. Like it's an off-Broadway theater that has money. Uh, It was not a cheap set, but uh, 100%. I saw it and I was like, why is this on Broadway? Yeah, it feels like a really awesome off-Broadway show, especially because it is is a small show and it's a one-act. And... It's, I mean, I don't want to say it's a simple plot line because that sounds like I'm cheapening it and I right. don't, it, it shouldn't be cheapened because it's really funny and it's really good. But because of what it is, it does feel like it's not, I guess you could say that about Waitress too, though. You know, Waitress, Waitress is, is a, a pretty simple, yeah, and it's a pretty simple plot line that follows through, right? So I, I'm just interested as to like why they chose to do it Broadway instead of off-Broadway. Yeah, you know, it, it's one of those things that Broadway still exists, obviously. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the heydays of the 70s and 80s where I think Broadway shows, 60s, 70s and 80s, where off-Broadway shows could really, I mean, the Fantastics running for a million and a half years. years like, <laughs> something like that. I, You know, it makes me wonder, like, could the Fantastics do that today if a new show came along mm. that was like that? Because Broadway, you know, the 80s ushered in these mega musicals, and we've talked about them on the show before, you know, so much of the Broadway audience starting in the 80s becomes tourist traffic. Mm -hmm. And the theater audience in New York becomes tourist traffic. And working with a lot of tourists myself, they don't even know what that is. You know what I mean? Like, Wicked. Is is Wicked off Broadway? No, no. No. That's not not it. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, it it was interesting looking at where it went next. So Tokyo, it went to Tokyo in 2014, so the following year, and it was successful there. Then it went to Buenos Aires, and this is fun. It was only supposed to have eight performances at a regional theater there, I think, and then ended up running for six months and earned multiple nominations and wins with some of the big theater awards in Argentina. And I'm like, wow, that's crazy. Then it goes to Melbourne. Then it goes to London. Which is crazy. I mean, this show, I I think Broadway is just, it's so big. Because even in the West End, you get off West End. So I could see it running a long time there. Because like you said, it's so well written and it's very funny. And the music's so good that um, regionally, its I can't imagine this not being a big hit. Because it's like, okay, you take your Curly and your Lori in Oklahoma, who are big stars in the regional market, and you do first date for them. You know what I mean? Yeah. no brainer. Like, here's a contemporary show where your favorite 30 somethings in not just Seattle, but in Chicago or in Key West or wherever your regional <laughs> theater is. Key West. Like, I don't, that's not where I would think. La Mirada. This is perfect for something like a La Mirada. Which they did at La Mirada. Absolutely. Nick, Nick DeGrugio directed it and it was a hit. They loved it, you know. Yeah. Um, and it, it it it's great regionally. I mean, it would be so much fun to do. One other thing that I just want to throw out there, just because it was interesting when watching the bootleg, was the night that this recording happened, Zachary Levi um has first entrance for the show. Uh-huh. And like show just keeps going. No one says anything. No one applauds. And then Krista Rodriguez rocks out and stops the show for like 30 seconds. So everyone can applaud her walking on stage, which is insane because he was the TV star. He was the draw. He had a cult following from Chuck, which is partially why. Well, and he had done Thor at this point and right. he had done a couple other things. 
Right. Another a couple other big f- films. But for the like theater kids, Krista Rodriguez. Yeah. I mean, Adam's family. Well, and, and in the Smash. Heights, she had already and done Smash. Smash. Had she already done Smash at this mm-hmm. point? Interesting. Yeah. So I think it was just really, I yeah. found it really fascinating and a wonderful, like, I don't know if that's the way it was every night. It was just right. for this particular recording. But yeah, I I don't know. I thought it was really, there was part of me that was like, yes, Krista. Go team. You like, get it. <laughs> but this whole cast, I mean, because we're just, we have just focused on the two of them. And we've mentioned, you know, Blake Hammond, who played the waiter. But Sarah And that's Chase. my favorite song in the show. Sarah the Jay- song. <laughs> oh, and it's my least favorite. So we're, we're, we're going to talk about the plot in the songs in just a moment. But Sarah Chase was always also in this before right. Kimmy Schmidt. You know what I mean? Yep. And like delightful in a host of characters. I think she also plays Zachary's mom at one point. Yeah, she plays his mom. She plays like the really bitchy ex-girlfriend. Ex. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Let's just physically talk about the show because you got a chance to watch some bootlegs. I saw it on Broadway like four times. Yeah. Um, like, Did you ever get to see any of the swings or understudies go on? No, I saw the original cast for the most part. Oh, okay. Um, but I saw the show change a little bit. This is a show that had a lot of changes during previews. Mm. Um, there was a song that was cut that I never saw, but something about the World Wide Web. And they, I, I heard it was epic. It was one of those like, when people talk about the kill the pig number in Gary, <laughs> I hear this like, you, you, you know, you can't escape the World Wide Web or whatever that song was, was one of those moments. <laughs> and I missed it. <laughs> but I do know like the opening number, the one which I love because it reminds me of personals. It reminds me mm-hmm. of nothing to do with love. Um, that changed a lot during previews. So I saw a couple different versions of that. No, I think I saw the original cast for the most part. Right. I really love the music in this show. Our executive producer always makes a joke that they wrote four songs and then just rewrote them a bunch of times. And that was the show. (laughs) A little bit. A little bit. I mean, the the repetitive best friend coming in and leaving. I hate that song, too. But the bailout song. It's so it's so appropriate. It it made me giggle because that was Christopher Kusick, who was Fiero yeah. in L.A. for years. Was he? In oh, the sit down production of Wicked. And I'm like, you went from Fiero to the gay best friend in this. And I'm just having a hard time processing. He looks like he's having the best time. Oh, he, the whole cast did, though. Yeah. The no, that's true. Did. It, it is true. I I really love this show. I think there's a lot of really fantastic music in it for a range of personalities and humans. But like I said a second ago, I absolutely love the waiter song. Okay. I just think that song is perfect comedy. Okay. It's so good. The lyrics are smart. And like, if you've got good comedic timing and you land those jokes, man. Okay. Uh, why do you don't, why do you hate it? I, so that's the one song that really takes me back from a lot of, I think, the moments that really drive that this deserves to be a Broadway show. And not that that kind of song, that works in other musicals. But like after the serious song he sings with his mother and, uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the I'm not going to say parody because it's not funny, but um, the pastiche of Sounds of Silence they do. And, <laughs> uh, you know, even that say, actually was really funny. <laughs> which was written for Broadway. They replaced another song that was like a tango. And I'm like, good choice. Yeah, I just, I I thought they, with a lot of the more serious songs, safer, things like that. To me, it was like, and we're back to off-Broadway land, which was fine. But it, to me, it was like, why are we, why are we on the Broadway? Like when the waiter thing happened, it was a good song. 
It's, it's just, a great song. It's a good song. It's a good song. It's just And they it, set him up to be the narrator that's true. of the show. That's like true. he's who you see everything from his perspective, which I find really interesting. And I kind of wish they had like leaned into that a bit more. Okay. Sure. Absolutely. I could see that. Like I think that may have elevated it slightly, elevated the writing a little bit more, is if they had leaned into especially because they had someone so incredible like Blake Hammond. Oh, yeah. Who is a fantastic actor and wonderful singer, of course, but just really lovely, lovely performer. But yeah, I just wonder if that that would have helped elevate it so people weren't asking the question that you were asking. But why are we on Broadway? Yeah. Um, And like, I don't know. I mean, that goes back to this idea of elitism of like what belongs on Broadway and what doesn't. And like we could get in the weeds on that. But right. I don't know. I really felt like this was a show that deserved a little bit more love. But then I went and looked at like what was on Broadway that season. Tell and me. You had, well, you had Big Fish, which was okay, also a flop, but huge and theatrical and, you know, right. all those things. You had After Midnight, which is just glorious. Right. Um, Kinky Boots, which is an l- awesome show and was the darling of the season. Right. Um, Matilda. Oh, wow. The Cinderella revival, the Pippin revival, Jekyll and Hyde. Okay. And Gentleman's Guide. Uh, that was an epic season. It's really hard to compete with some of those shows. Yeah. With such a, and I don't like using the word simple, but right. with a simple show that isn't about gags and isn't about chandelier moments, right? Right. Whereas those other shows have chandelier moments. It's just like, <sighs> You know, if that's what the expectation is, of course it didn't succeed. Well, it's what's crazy is like looking at this list. First Date was the only one with a contemporary musical theater score. I mean, it Mm -hmm. has pop rock elements, but, uh, you know, Zachary and Weiner, they I love their stuff. Are you familiar with any of their other music? Yeah, I am. I actually got to sit in on an ASCAP new musicals reading where they were um, on the panel Ooh. with Stephen Schwartz to like talk to the writers and like talk to them. But it was like a festival situation where they were finalists and whatever, but then they give feedback and they're like, okay. here are my thoughts. Like they only see, I think it's like 10 minutes of the show. So like okay. you pick yeah, your best yeah, yeah. songs and like maybe a scene so that they get an idea of like the themes and the motifs and like what you're going for. So they can give feedback and they also are given the scripts ahead of time. So I think they read them and stuff. Right. But it, it was fascinating because one of them was on the panel and gave incredible feedback okay and like insight into how do you elevate your work and how do you keep the storytelling being at the forefront and right so yeah it was just it was interesting to me to to listen to them talk about it when they have this show which i think is actually really brilliant but also wasn't super successful right you know yeah they're fascinating guys like i didn't know they had written first aid until i looked in the playbill and that I had known who they were before mm. that. And when I realized they had written a very popular and well-received Disney Cruise Line show called Twice Charmed. And right. it was a take on Disney Cinderella. And I had bought it when I was actually in college because I was convinced that one of them was secretly the chairman of the musical theater department, Michael Sarter, writing under a pen name, because <laughs> I had known that he had written a Disney Cruise Line show himself. And I know he wrote under fake names sometimes. And 
the opening number to Twice Charmed is a song called All Because of a Shoe. And it's very much his like music and his lyrics and his comedy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, Michael, did you write this? And he's like, no, I have no idea what this is. But I was obsessed because it's it's a really, really cute. The music is very good for a cruise line show. Yeah. So I'd always been kind of like trying to keep an eye out for them. And then when I saw First Date, I was like, oh, they're awesome. They mm. really can do this for the theater. And um, I know Secondhand Lions hasn't come to Broadway or anything yet. And a couple of their other projects. Is that still in workshop? I don't know where. Or did the... COVID stop that? They were doing that one. They were doing 17 again. They were doing 13. 17 30... again would be really funny as a musical. Yeah. So they were doing that one. They did do the musical episode of Once Upon a Time, which I watched till right. the bitter end. I know a lot of people didn't get that far. I tried. Um, <laughs> but um, they've also written for High School Musical, the musical, the series. So. Right. I knew that. <laughs> These guys have a really strong relationship with Disney. Uh, I would love to see what they do next. It's It's really rare to find composers who can write contemporary pop scores for the theater. Yeah. It's very It's very similar to the team that does wedding singer you know and i hate the book to that show but the music and lyrics to wedding singer are show. amazing <laughs> amazing that music because yeah. it truly feels like a lot of those songs could be pilfered off the radio but on the flip side they are so incredibly well built to serve the purpose of musical theater you know what i Come mean out of the dumpster that's a really good one it's such a good one that's a good one it also stars christina's favorite <laughs> Christina, I was going to try to pull out a name that wasn't Laura Bonanti. No, it was Laura Bonanti. <laughs> I know. I was going to be like, it's so and so. I actually, that was, I think, one of my first trips to New York ever. That was one of the musicals I saw. And that's oh. probably why I fell in love with it. But back to first date. Yeah, I, I guess my question to you, Bobby, because you did get to see it multiple mm-hmm. times. What would you have done? Like, let's say you were in a creative position. Right. right. Um, what would you have done? Like, what would have been your overall idea? What would have been that thing that you have been like, this is what's going to bring us to another level? Like, what would that have been for you? Well, you know, in mentioning like it's such a perfect piece for regional markets that have that show couple, you know, mm-hmm. you know, right around this time, maybe shortly after this, they really tried to make love letters work on Broadway by bringing in a lot of like celebrity people who have relationships with each other. And I think if First Date had opened with a couple that's known from a well-known movie or a well-known TV show, or even a well-known couple in the Broadway community, I think that it might have had a longer shot. Because the cuteness of seeing those 30-somethings and to see people that you know, to me, this is it's kind of stunt casty, but like if you had done, like I'm racking my brain what that could even be. Not now because they're older than that, but in the height of Will and Grace, if it had been Deborah Messing and McCormick, yes, uh, Eric McCormick, that would have been cute. And I think it would have lasted the length of their run. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think in the height of Will and Grace, when they were actually in their 30s, I think a show like this could have worked, you know, Mm -hmm. Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone, like, you know, because they have a relationship with each other, you know, Tom Holland and Zendaya. They would be adorable in this. And they both can sing and dance. They they do. Yeah. So I think. I mean, he can really dance. He was Billy Elliot. All right. Yes. And he's Spider-Man. So he can do everything. But, you know, on the flip side, this Broadway cast was so fierce, though. It's like Zachary Levi, who 
had been trying to do a Broadway musical for a long time. Well, he was originally supposed to be the lead in Young Frank. He had it. They were in rehearsals. And then Chuck happened. Handpicked by Mel Brooks, Broadway debut, discovered him. Like, so like true theater guy. Because I think everyone was scratching their head when the show happened. They're like, why is Zachary Levi doing this? I had the same question, honestly. (laughs) Look, and not because he's not great in it. He is the best actor on that stage. He is absolutely captivating. I would watch him eat cake. Like, he's a lovely human. But I was confused based on like trajectory of his career that he was one that they were able to get a hold of him and be like, you should do this. Right. Because I could see like why he would be like, this would be fun. But like, why do this now? Like, why do you know what I mean? Knowing that it was what it was. And so that that was something that I would love. I would love to go to him and be like, what is what is that? Tell me. Especially tell me the things. I mean, he was so fortunate to get a second shot being obviously she loves me, but that would have been the prime vehicle. If you were going to make the crossover, you know, a big, lavish, you know, roundabout revival of that opposite someone like Laura Benanti, that's like, where well, do I and sign? And that was already you know? agreed upon to be a limited engagement. Right. Which makes so, sense for his career. Yeah. So to me that it's weird to think that that happened after first date, but you know, in a show that I hope to cover on this one day, and I think we might because our executive producer likes it, when Brooke Shields <laughs> did the out-of-town tryout of Leap of Faith, and this is far we'll get into it, she had expressed everyone calls on her to be in revivals, and she had really wanted the experience to originate a role in mm-hmm. a new Broadway musical. And I think for a lot of folks who have theater training, who finally get the opportunity due to their Hollywood status to make that transition over. I think there is a little bit of the desires, maybe. So maybe Zachary's like, okay, he didn't do the out of town, but he will still originate it on Broadway. You know, yeah. maybe that was, or maybe he saw the, the out of town, right? Like maybe he w- happened to be up there and saw it or knew someone attached to it, you know, and I could totally see why he would want to do it. It was That's just a tour de force for both of them, for the whole cast, yeah. whole cast, like, but it was that that thing of like thinking about like who who's like on his team. And I mean that by who represents him, because right. let me tell you, as someone who has tried to straddle both worlds of TV film and yeah. theater, I get yelled at a lot by both sides. Right. Being like, no, you're spending too much time in L.A. No, you're spending too much time in New York. And blah, 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 right. right. And I don't even have a even remotely close to be, ha- being a name like Zachary or Krista or any of them, right? You're basically the same. Come on. It's totally. I'm totally the same. <laughs> totally you guys, same. I'm like totally famous. No, I'm not. Not even close. Um, but like that sense of like, well, this is why it hasn't worked is because you spend too much time in theater. Well, this is why it hasn't worked because you spend too much time trying to do TV. And it's like, ah, right? But like, I, I wonder who on his team was like, yeah, you should go do this small Broadway show. It's so, do you it's know what so- I mean? It's it's so weird, but I'm actually really kind of glad he did. Like it warms yeah, my heart too. to be like, yeah, he he chose first date. He did he chose first date. Yeah. Anyway, I think in retrospect, if they had done the stunt casting instead of just Zachary, if they had taken a cutesy couple, like you know, it, maybe it's a Zac Efron and, and a Vanessa Hudgens, or maybe you go a little like inside on the theater world and you do. I mean, this would have been adorable with Kristen Bell and Christian Campbell, you know, take Mm. the leads from the Reefer Madness movie. Obviously, she is more famous than he is at this point. But, um, 
I mean, Understatement. at this point, like real famous. <laughs> at that point, she was like kind of famous. Um, but like even just a cutesy couple from our industry, I keep thinking like I want to say couples and then they're not coming to mind. Failing it's, on knowing the insider track. Yeah, but like you could have <laughs> taken Jeremy Jordan and. Oh, right. And his wife. Yeah. Who can say your face off. Yeah, that, that makes sense. You know, like, I mean, who knows? Who knows? Maybe this is what it was meant to be. And it's going to have an incredible regional life. And mm-hmm. I love that in other markets, it's also been super successful, which is which right. is really cool um, and exciting to me. It's just stupid Babe Ruth. I mean, stupid. OK, so do you think that this show could two questions because they're separate? One <laughs> could ever come back to New York generally and two if the answer is yes do you think it could ever come back to broadway i do think it could come back to new york um in an off-broadway thing i mean look at how successful little shop has been off broadway i agree not successful on broadway but it never has been Mm -hmm. and um and do some of those fun castings like you were throwing out and like just do two three month stints with those mm-hmm. people uh jonathan also, groff and leah michelle that's your stunt cast oh right my there. gosh that would be an interesting cast um, i would see it like a yeah <laughs> yeah you know i think that's something like that could happen i honestly don't think it could ever go back to brought the broadway the broadway just because of what as you pointed out what broadway has become an expectation about what goes into those theaters right um it can be a small show but it needs to be a small show with like spectacle right yeah i mean if you look at the bones of hamilton it's a small show it's one set with a bunch of props and like they barely change costumes right you know what i mean and it's an ensemble piece where people play multiple different roles and it's right. great but because of the epicness of the score and the storytelling and what the casting and all the things that like make hamilton what it is is why it works on broadway right yeah and so yeah i just i don't see it going back to broadway off broadway for sure could have a life and really i think it could run for a long time look unless we're getting beyonce and jay-z or meryl streep and kevin klein starring in this it's not oh my gosh please put meryl streep and kevin klein i know that they're way out the age range <laughs> but the like best. we could do a be slight the best. twist on like a what a blind date could be they're on their senior first citizens. date <laughs> first date senior citizen <laughs> All right, kids. Well, you have officially survived our first mini episode. Mini um, episode. Many more to come. Although I don't know how many this one will actually be. I think some of them might be more mini than this one. <laughs> we like to talk, you guys. We like to talk. Well, so that means uh, when you tune back in in a couple weeks, kids, we are going to be talking about a new theme. Starting yes. with a big episode, home by mini episode. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, Christina, should we tell them what our next theme is? Yes. A preview was enough. Sometimes, sometimes a preview is too much, but in this case, <laughs> a preview <laughs> was enough. Now, we're not going to tell you exactly what shows we're covering yet. You'll have to t- stay tuned to our social media for that. And we are all over all the socials. All uh, the socials. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, sometimes on TikTok. <laughs> um, yeah, we're very excited for you to stay tuned and see what these two shows are that only lasted. Was it only one preview? I think it's like one performance. 
Okay, yeah. yeah, There you go. Um, Make sure to go back and catch up on season one. If you're behind, you can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts, as well as season two, episode one, which was on Diana. And again, it's all about the curse of the long acre. All right, kids. (laughs) Gonna head out. Christina, do you have any parting words for our guests? Yeah, last night I went on a date with a guy from the zoo, and he's a keeper. (laughs) All right, kids. Bye. Bye.